Stephanie is here, and those of you with children like to go back and get the Bible boxes, you're welcome to do that. I would ask that everyone else take your Bibles, and we're going to turn to Job chapter 38. Job is almost in the middle of the scriptures, just before the Psalms, which was the ancient hymn book of the church. We're going to talk about this area of the Old Testament this morning. Job chapter 38, near the end of the book. I've always loved the book of Job. The reason, of course, is that uh, this literary work kind of throws a wrench in the simple black and white kind of thinking of our faith. In black and white terms, we have the wonderful books of the law, and we have the promise of Deuteronomy. In chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, for example, Moses reminds us, giving us the Ten Commandments, again, that he had given us in Exodus, and then he says to this, So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. Now nothing could be uh, clearer uh, than those words. Obey God, do good things, good things will happen to you. You will live long and prosper. Now, 95% of the time, that Deuteronomic principle is accurate. It describes life. However, what do we do with the 5% where bad things happen to good people? We do everything we should, and yet disease, death, destruction shooting comes upon us. How do you make sense out of that? Well, the answer is that it is not simple black and white to live the Christian life. It is not formulaic where we use these same cognitive structures and logical processes to determine how life is going to go. Where we determine cause and effect or we have hypotheses and testing And everything fits in those kinds of categories. One of the things I love about our faith, and especially I love about Scripture as a whole, is that it can be understood by a child, and yet it can confound an adult. There are parts of the Bible, for example, that we keep only for marriage, and we don't read it to children. Then there are other parts that we make children's stories out of, to teach them morality and right and wrong. There are general principles, and then there are profound exceptions to those general principles. For example, in the Old Testament, and I love the way the Old Testament is designed. The New Testament is similar to it, but in a little different way. In the Old Testament, there are basically four sections of literature. We begin with the books of the law where the basic foundation of the faith is presented, where the Deuteronomic principle is presented to us, where we find the Ten Commandments and how we're to obey and live long and prosper. We then have the history section. Now, in this one, the whole of Scripture is showing how the basic foundations of the law are lived out. 
and how if you obey God and do what he commands and don't do what he says not to do, then it will go well with you. Or if you don't obey God, it will not go well with you. And so throughout the history section of the the scriptures, we have this example after example of how those who followed God prospered and those who did not went to destruction. The third section of the Old Testament, I'm going to come back to in a moment, but the fourth section we call the prophets. Now the prophets are actually divided into two, simply major and minor, the longer prophetic books and then the shorter prophetic books. And in these we have the sermons of the pastors who are reminding the people during the history sections of the book what God has said. And so they're always explaining and reminding and clarifying the ways of God. These pastors often say in advance, if you don't change this, it's not going to go well with you, your children, or your nation. You're going to be dispersed. You're going to be conquered. It's not going to go well if you don't go back and follow the principles of God. And so we see that all through the prophetic books. But it's the third section I want to focus on for a moment. It's usually called the poetic uh, books. They address the questions like that of Job. The primary question of Job is this. Yes, it is true that good people live long and prosper, but not always. What's with that? The poetry section begins with Job and that question, which we will focus on. But God's people also included the Psalms in the sacred text. The Psalms are poems that are full of doubts, full of struggles, full of affirmation, full of praise. The Psalms do not follow a simple little black and white description of what life is like. It's life in all of its poetic, musical, artistic reality. It's the reality of the life of faith. The poetry section also includes the Proverbs. And Proverbs are not that unique to the Christian tradition. They're not unlike the Proverbs of Buddhism or Confucius or the Native American wisdom. They are things that people have discovered about life, and they're true. And if you follow the Proverbs, it will go much better for you in life. And I think it's fascinating that God's people decided to include in our sacred text the cynical, ironic, complex book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes takes that Deuteronomic principle and turns it on its head and twists it in your mind. And finally, of course, we include, as I related to earlier, the marriage manual, the poetic love poem, the Song of Solomon. Now, it's obvious that we recognize that most of life is understandable. Cause and effect, hypothesis, testing. We can understand and most of life fits within that logical construct. But it's also obvious that God's people are not simplistic thinkers of black and white categories. We understand and we include in our sacred text the questions and the struggles of our faith. We have not only experienced what this life is, but we also want to understand what this life is not and what our mortal mortality means, and we struggle with that. But we also struggle with the one who created us and who gave us the ability to question and to struggle and to love and to worship and to consider 
And so we're always in this place of Israel, which means to wrestle with God, to be in real close proximity where the reality of our relationship is something we experience daily. So that brings us then to the book of Job, one of my favorite books. This grand philosophical drama of trying to understand why bad things could happen to us even when we are perfect, when we do not sin, is the question. Now, we all recognize that we all sin. But theoretically, Job asked the question, this drama asks, what would happen if a person did not sin? Would bad things still happen? And according to the book of Job, the answer is yes. And so Job does what most of us do in that moment. He puts God on trial. Rather than God being the judge and we're standing before him answering for what we have or have not done in our lives, he reverses the process and he makes himself judge over God. And he says to God, you've got some explaining to do. Answer me. Why is this happening to me? Now, as we talked about last week, to have faith and to trust in God is to live in a much larger realm, a realm far beyond human sight and human insight, far beyond human eyes and the human brain. Moving up from superstition, most people of faith begin to recognize that this magical viewpoint where we say the abracadabras of faith and we expect to control God by what we do or what we say is not an accurate depiction of this relationship that we have with the Almighty Father. But they oftentimes move only halfway up the process and they begin to think in logical, legal contracts, testaments, in which we assume that if we obey God's laws, then that will get us what we want. And so we obey God in order to be in control of our lives so that we can be assured that bad things will not happen and that we'll get all that we want. When we move beyond that human level and that superstitious level, we move to a level of recognizing that trusting God and having faith in Him is to let go of control. To recognize that there's a loving creator, father, redeemer who protects and cares for us and is at work within our lives. And we have faith, even though we can't see the whole of that reality, we understand that there's a loving God, a father, a creator. And eventually, due to the inadequacies of our own thinking, making sense out of this world, we begin to trust and believe and have faith and walk in a, a much larger place than this world offers to us. It's in that moment that mature faith has caused the people of God to include the poetic books in the Bible. There are truths that lift us far beyond superstition, far beyond legal constructs. A place where we have trust and faith in God even when our sight and our laws and our knowledge is incomplete. So that leads us then to God's response to Job. And again, I would hope that, I'm only going to read 11 verses of this amazing philosophical drama. I encourage you to read the whole of the book. 
Take some time this week. Read it. Certainly read the answers that God gives. But you need to read all the, the three uh, friends and the fourth friend and what they all say and how they try to accuse Job and all that's involved in that. But we want to focus in on God's response to Job. So Job chapter 38, we're going to start with verse 1 and just do the first 11 verses. Then the Lord said to Job, out of the storm, he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched it, stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. Now keep that open before you and let's pray. Father, to be people of faith in a broken world, to recognize that even sanctuary is not safe when evil comes. That there are things we face that are far greater <coughs> than our human ability to even understand them. We come to you. We come to you in faith. We've known you. We're known by you. We live with you. So be with us as we think together, as we have faith together. And we'll give you praise. Amen. Earlier in the service, we read the demonstration of God's words that he gave to Job. And then that Jesus lives out when Jesus calms the storm. Mark explains that he got up, rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. A demonstration of the very thing that God said to Job he had the power to do. The wind died down. It was completely calm, Mark writes. Then notice what Jesus said to the disciples. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? That's the question. They struggled with it. We struggle with it. Here, they're the chosen disciples. They're in the very boat with Jesus. Yet bad things were happening to them. And they're terrified. They trusted their eyes and their knowledge. And they did not yet understand what it means to trust the living God. But then, even with the demonstration of his supremacy, that was so clearly stated in Job, they still ask each other, who is this 
that even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, to be gracious to them, we could perhaps say that in that moment of fear, when they're overcome by the terror of the storm that is attacking their senses, their physical bodies, perhaps they didn't remember God's answer to Job when he was terrified by the storms that were attacking him and that had gathered in his life. But God explained what Jesus demonstrated when he explained his place and power to Job. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its, its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? Josh, who just came back from a solo trip on the seas for seven weeks, said it's an unbelievable darkness in the midst of the sea. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Now you can see that although Job had placed God in the dock and he was saying, and read this philosophical drama and you'll see the amazing questions that he keeps asking God to explain himself. And uh, he had placed God in that dock and he was putting him on trial. God simply turns the question around, as is the reality of our existence. And he asks Job the question. He says, speaking out of the storm, which is where he always speaks to us, speaking out of the storm, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you. And you shall answer me. Now again, this is only the beginning. And in fact, it's not the actual beginning. There's more that, that he said before and he says after. So I encourage you to read those last uh, portions. You might, again, want to read the whole of the drama so that you've got that, that answer in place. But just in these verses, we want to recognize what God does and does not do. First of all, he does not make a logical argument. He does not try to make sense out of the nonsense of evil that attacks our lives and our world. He does not make logical argument about how Job must have sinned because bad things were happening to him. That's what all of Job's friends have done. If you read it, it's just attack after attack that surely you sin because you have bad things happening to you. They were limited to their understanding of just the law. And so they could not make sense out of Job's suffering. God also does not expect Job to understand what is beyond his ability to understand. Like a parent with a child who is not yet able to understand, he does not confuse him trying to explain things that are beyond his ability to experience or know. He says, you know me. You trust me. I know the whole, and I'm with you in this storm. He calls us to that place of trust and faith. And in essence, he says to Job, and he says to us, in this storm, you are forgetting who I am. You are focusing on the storm. I am the creator, the savior, the redeemer. 
I was and am and will always be. And with Jesus, we would add to that, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the restorer and the reconciler. I will bring all things together for your good. Trust me. Believe in me. Have faith in me. Now that is life at its largest and the most complex. We know God and we are known by God. We love him with all our heart and soul and strength and mind. And we walk with him whatever the circumstances. As I alluded to in our prayer for those who died in that Bible study in Charleston, our whole nation got to see people who live in that larger reality as they spoke to the young murderer of their beloved when he was standing in the chains and under the armed guard of the government. And they told him very directly, person after person, I forgive you. Repent. Change. For your sake, this way is a way of destruction. There's a larger reality to what we experience and how we live our lives. We saw it expressed in clear terms. I want to close with something I asked Russell if I could share with you. As you know, we lost Alyssa when she was 15 years of age, just beginning her life. There's nothing that makes sense in anything about that. Most of us shouted into the storm and asked God to explain himself. But this week, as Russell and I were talking about something else, he said three times, and by the third time, I just had to stop and acknowledge it with him. He said three times in full joy of a trusting heart that he and his family are blessed, and they live in tremendous blessing. And of course I agreed with him both of us knowing full well that we were speaking of a life far above this temporary mortal experience and the things that happened to us in this transitory life. That we were describing the eyes of faith and experiencing the joy of faith and knowing the trust of God and knowing that life is something that's far beyond the experiences that we face here. I knew we were speaking and he knew we were speaking of God. This morning, whatever storm you have faced or are facing or are going to face, remember who it is that faces it with us. Who it is that walks through whatever it is that this world might do to us and recognize that it is God who creates and fulfills these eternal lives that we now live. And let's spend time with him.
let us stand as we sing God of grace and God of glory. Courage for the facing of this.